posted. No sports. I discovered this lady sitting beside me on the couch. She's my wife, and she seems very nice. <laughs> oh, there's too much truth to that. Okay. <laughs> we are continuing through Route 66 this morning as we are looking into the book of Numbers. And Numbers and number counting for some people is an art. Uh, I've heard of people uh, actually uh, taking numbers, uh, wondering how many people are going to show up at maybe the meeting as we did this morning before any of you got here. <laughs> Canada Day is one of those days when we look out at the crowds and we do this thing called ballparking where you look and you try to get a, a bit of a grasp on the numbers. And usually you'll hear someone say, well, I, I think there was at least, or, you know, at least this many. And you know, if you get three or four numbers that seem to be in the same ballpark, you sort of take the average and you say, yeah, we have, and, and the numbers game. When I was with Youth for Christ, we used to have an event every week in Campus Life, our high school ministry, and it was our Thursday night club meeting where a number of schools would come together. And there was one guy, his name was Buddy, that uh, when we would meet on Fridays at our staff meeting to sort of go over the previous night's meeting, and we'd say, boy, we had a good crowd out last night. And someone would say, I said, I counted almost 200. And Buddy would say, there was a, he'd say, Doc, there was at least 300 there last night. And you knew that uh, he had the, uh, what we, we became to say, the charismatic count. It always seemed it had to be a bit more uh, than what, what actually was. But we're looking into this book of numbers uh, today. We're continuing this journey. And as we look at it, we'll have a, a, a bit of a, a bit of an intro, and then we're going to look at the passage that we read, that a number of you read earlier. As has been the case in the, uh, throughout the Pentateuch, the, the Torah, the law, um, universal Jewish and Christian tradition says that, uh, that Moses is the one who's the uh, author of the book of, of Numbers. He's the central figure in the book, and at least on two occasions in Numbers 33 and then 36, uh, it mentions him recording the events by, God, by God's commands. So authorship, we continue through what Jesus called the book of Moses, the law, and looking at it as Moses as being the author. As is the case in Hebrew literature, often the title is contained in the, the first words, so the first sentence uh, of, of the book itself. And we see that in chapter 1, the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai. And we look at it, and this book, uh, Numbers, really could be titled, In uh, the Desert Of. It's an accurate depiction of the book's contact, content, which follows the Israelites uh, through almost 40 years of wandering in, this, in, the, in the desert, in the wilderness. And so while its title is, says talks of numbers, and there's good reason for that, uh, we see that uh, this is a book of wilderness. It's a book of wilderness wanderings. The book begins in the second year after the Israelites had departed from Egypt. They are camped, they've been camped at Mount Sinai. God was faithful, has been faithful in his being, in his promise, in his word, that 
uh, that he gave to Abraham, that he confirmed to Isaac and then Jacob, that he was going to bless the Israelites and he would make them a great nation. He is, he was, is their God, was their God, and as long as they were obedient to him, he would be obedient to his covenant. And the covenant was that he, he was going to bless them, make them a great nation, and ultimately he was going to lead them to a place of abundance. And so here, this is where we pick it up today. This book of wanderings ends, it starts in the second year after they have left uh, Egypt. 38 years later in the plains of, of Moab, by the Jordan opposite of Jericho, where they were going to make entrance into the land, it ends. But a lot takes place during that time. As I mentioned, there's people, the people have these long wanderings in the desert. Then they have a time of, uh, at the oasis of Kadesh Barnea, and then eventually uh, they will be coming up on the banks of the Jordan, uh, making their way to the promised land. The Lord directed the numbers of, uh, the message of numbers toward the younger generation. And we're going to see that in this, that there was two censuses that were taken, one at the beginning, one at the end, and good reason, and good reason for that. We're going to go over that. But this is written uh, to the younger generation, children of the former slaves who had escaped from the Red Sea but would not see the land that had been promised to them, the land of milk and honey. Except for Joshua and Caleb, Caleb uh, and Moses, the older generation, everyone 21, 20 years older, uh, or older, at the time of the first census, uh, died before the completion of numbers, due to their disobedience and their disbelief. The book near the end, we see Moses, uh, uh, the recording of his death. So as I said, numbers is going to take us on this long and winding path through the Sinai desert. It records two census for all 12 tribes. It gives priestly instruction uh, for the handling of the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. It gives instructions for the placement of the tribes when they camp. But most of all, it records God's unfailing direction over this nation. Throughout the scriptures, we will see the covenant God committed to his word, faithful, despite the yo-yo experiences, uh, the up and down wandering around experiences of the children that he uh, said he would bless and make a great nation. So as we read this book again, we're going to see that. God's faithfulness throughout this experience. Numbers, as I've said, shows us how the people of Israel, Israel tested God's patience. It's actually a good book for all of us. Because I'm sure, at least reflecting on my own life, and I'm sure if you're if you open about this, there's probably times that we test God's patience. One amen, maybe? Okay, maybe a lot of uncertain amens, so you don't want to go all in, but okay. But, uh, but we do try God's patience. And God, uh, his, his love and his faithfulness seems to uh, endure uh, our, our disbelief, our times of discouragement, our times of rebellion, rebellion. The Israelites failed many times, and God showed his faithfulness through his constant presence. He continued to lead them or desired to lead them despite the way that they were. And so, so we have it that the book of Numbers leads us into this experience where a faithful God watches 
And if God shakes his head, he must have done it for 38 years to see this group of humanity wandering so close get to getting into the promised land, but never getting, they were never, at least that one generation was not going to experience it. Chuck Swindoll says this of the book of Numbers. It reveals how God reminded Israel that he does not tolerate rebellion, complaining, and disbelief without invoking consequences. He taught his people how to walk with him, not just with their feet through the wilderness, but with their mouths in worship, hands in service, and lives as witnesses to the surrounding nations. He was their God, they were his people, and he expected them to act like it. Go back to the book of Leviticus, and we were taught about the holiness of God, and not just the holiness of God, but the, but the, the instructions that were given that we might live as holy children of our holy God. That was, that was the instruction there. So what have we covered so far? Genesis, a book of beginnings, where we see God as our creator, creator of all things. Man is created. He's instructed to uh, what he's to do. It's not long before he disobeys. He rebels. He sins. The relationship between God is, is, uh, is broken. And so begins this journey uh, through Route 66. But God is faithful, and he's going to provide a way to see the, the paradise of Eden that was, that was broken and lost, he's, he, that will be restored. Exodus is a book of redemption and rescue. Leviticus, again, a book of holiness and worship. How to approach God and lives, live as citizens of the kings. I, of the king. I mentioned to you about the book of Numbers. And this is where we're going to start at this time. The book of wanderings. It is an 11-day journey from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. 11 days. Okay? Make note of that. It's about 150 miles. It took them 38 years and 10 months. Even the most directionally challenged person in this congregation would not take 38 years to get there. I, I did some math. I don't know why, because I wanted to play with numbers, because that's what we're into. Okay. So take the amount of miles, and some of you I know are going to check in to see if I've done this correctly. 150 miles, translate, uh, translate that, or uh, what, it, what would the, the proper word, not translate. Uh, convert. Thanks for being here. Convert that into feet. And then divide that by the number of days at 38 years and 10 months. And, and this is what I came up with. They were moving 2 million of humanity because I believe there was over 600 men. And then they added the women and children. They figured there was about 200, 2, 2 million. The sea of humanity moved on an average of 17.89 feet per day. Now, we know that would be true if they were going 150 miles in, in a straight line. But you need to understand that for 38 years and 10 months, this group of 2 million were basically doing this. In this piece of land that as the crow flies, they could have been there in no time, in 11 days. And I, I think we can't underestimate the frustration that this must have caused God. 
to see that you are that close and yet you're wandering in disbelief. And why is that? Well, we're going to go back to the report of the spies. God could have commanded the census to reveal his power in redeeming such a large number of people, to emphasize the power of God in rescuing such a large number of people out of Egypt. And that's valid. But God led, God led this entire nation of people through the wilderness in keeping his covenant. And the first census that we see in chapter 1 really is it's more of a wartime preparation to get a count of the males. You see, God has promised that they are going to enter into the land of milk and honey. Canaan is before them, but it will be a land that will be conquered, and there's a conquest before them. And their God is going to lead them into doing this. So the, the purpose of the census just isn't to get uh, a number. It's one of those censuses that's not taken by the Roman government. This isn't about taxation. This one here is more of a military preparation for what lies ahead. That was the first one. The second census counted the second generation who were now preparing to enter the land in faith. So we see that uh, there are these two, um, two census that are taken. I don't think the second one ever would have happened if the first generation had to remain faithful to their God. It came back that they had to gain, prepare for the conquest before them. So we go back into... Um, the 13th chapter of, of the book of Numbers, exploring Canaan. The Lord said, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am going to, uh, I'm going to, I'm giving to the Israelites. So it says, from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So I'm looking at Moses, probably Aaron, and I'm looking that as they are praying and as they are preparing to select these leaders, that they have picked the, they pick the cream of the crop. From each of the tribes, you now have 12 leaders that are going up. Their mission is to go up and to spy out the land. They are going to go into this land that who has promised that they will receive? God. God's made this promise. God has been faithful. He's not about to change. And he says, send them up. The leaders of the 12 tribes send them up, and they're given the instruction. Go on the land. See what it's like. Check it out. Uh, whether the people are, are strong or weak, are there, are there few in number, are there many? Uh, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? Is it fertile? Is it poor? Are there big cities, small cities? Are they fortified? So there's all these things that they are to check out and report. And so we have that situation before us that they are going up into the land to uh, receive, uh, to, to see, explore, and then come back um, with the report. You know, there are times throughout history uh, that there have been people that have been put in a position where um, there, I think there are two dangers. The two dangers are uh, underestimating your opponent and overestimating what you can do yourself. Uh, if you're a history buff, uh, some of you would uh, probably lean into uh, General Armstrong Custer, uh, who uh, probably could have written a book about bad management. Uh, he, was, he, was, uh, he had been successful, 
uh, until June 5, 1876, when he made the fateful decision to engage an overwhelming force of more than 2,000 Lakota Sioux, Cheyenne, and Arapaho uh, warriors, with only 210 members of the U.S. 7th Cavalry. And so he did a number of things that led uh, to a tragic demise. He refused to listen to others, figuring his judgment was superior. Uh, Custer was ordered to hold off on the attack and wait uh, there, that there would be uh, reinforcements on their way. Instead, the 210 men, he actually split into three uh, sort of troops. And so he weakened himself by spreading them out instead of waiting for reinforcements. He was arrogant. He was overconfident in his own talents. And he grossly underestimated the number of Indians and, uh, and how they were prepared to fight against them. The cavalry were, were, were equipped with single-shot rifles. And the Indians at that time had repeating rifles that made his, their superior numbers even more so. And this is something that, that he just totally decided to ignore. He wasn't entirely focused on the job. You know what? It was one of those jobs that historians figured that he wanted to get in and get out. Let's just get this over with and get home. He was outmanaged uh, by his opposition. He, he went entered into a war where he fought on the enemy's timetable, on their field of choosing, and against a much larger uh, number and a superior force. And last but not least, he had terrible bad luck. Uh, Custer had the misfortune of deciding to fight what is still considered to be the largest force, as I've already mentioned, of Indian warriors. And he did it with an undersized thing. All these things, there's an underestimating of going in to do something. There's a conquest before him. And yet, if he'd waited and depended on the reinforcements, on, on, on the numbers be, beyond himself, things might have came out different. Now, that's just one instance. Uh, when we look back at Canadian history, uh, for some of us, and I got to talk sports this morning because I can't watch it on TV, so I, I, you're going to have to bear with me. Back in 1972, there was the Hockey Summit Series. The discussion in hockey, hockey circles for years were who was the superior nation, Canada or the Russians, the USSR. And so I remember that there were, there were a couple of individuals that were, were, were chosen by Hockey Canada. And their names were Bob Davidson and John McClellan. They went into Russia for four days. This was a scouting expedition. And they went in. And some of you would remember this. They watched the Russians practice. They reported on a ragtag team of outclass amateurs and believed that 20-year-old goalie Vladislav Trechek, whom they saw play just once, was the weakest link on the team. Now, some of you are remembering this and you're going... Could they have been any further from the truth? This report, the scouting report that they brought. I remember hearing, they'll be lucky to score a goal. And there we were sitting in our basement in Rexdale. 34 seconds in the game, Canada, Canada scored. And a few minutes later, we scored a game. We're up to nothing. I was, you know, I was, I was tired. And I remember falling asleep. I woke up the next morning. I went downstairs and said, Dad! What was the final score? And he goes, seven to three for Russia. And I went, what? 
But what? But the scouting report said they didn't have a chance. And you, we would rem, we remember that the series uh, we won in the eighth game in the almost the last minute. But we learned for the future that we needed to have more wisdom and maybe more of a uh, strategy when it came to scouting. Let's go back to numbers. Let's go back to 12 leaders that went into the land remembering this. There is a danger in either overestimating your own ability or underestimating your opposition. But there's an X factor here that we're going to get to. So they go up into the, they being the 12, the 12, uh, the 12 spies, the, the leaders from the tribes, they go up and they see firsthand this land that God has promised them. If God has promised the land to him, God will deliver. They go up and some interesting things happen. And some of you remember the, the song. Twelve men spying in the Canaan's land, ten were bad, ten were bad, two, two were good. Okay? And what do they see in Canaan's land? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants, some saw giants big and strong, some saw grapes and clusters long. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad and two were good. And so this group of spies are up in the land and they see everything that's taking place. They see the clusters of the grapes, and that's a good thing. These big clusters that it took two, two men to, sort of on a pole carrying this long cluster. That was a good thing. But they also saw the fortified cities. They also saw that these people in this land looked like giants. And so after 40 days, they return. Interesting that 40 days, I'm always reminded that God uses 40 days for preparation. And in this occasion, after 40 days, they come back and they give the report. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. This is good. This is what we are going to look forward to. But they, they continued and they gave Moses this report. We went into the land which he sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But, you know what? When you hear the but, it's not turning out well. It's leading to an exception. And so they say, but, or we used to go, but, okay? Uh, that was party game, charades. Oh, dear, don't worry about it, okay? Um, but they say, but... The people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and uh, are very large. And they are convinced that this is not a good idea or it certainly isn't the right time. That's the report they're giving here. Caleb silenced the people before Moses. And he said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. What's Caleb saying? God's got this. God is all over this. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But it's interesting because we're back into the, the, the whole the experience of the majority versus the minority. You have 10 that are going, not a chance, but thanks for the grapes that we got when we were there. 
Okay, you've got two that are saying, yes, Joshua and Caleb, we shouldn't waste any time. Let's get going. Well, the Israelites are good at a number of things. One of them being grumbling. And we see that these men had, who had, uh, had gone up said, we can't attack. They are stronger than we are. And they spread this, uh, this word amongst the Israelites, this bad report about the land that they explored. It says, the land we explored devours those living in it. The people we serve, they are of a great size. If the land there is devouring the people in it, they're going to devour anybody that's going to try to come in. And that's the report that spread through the nations. And here's the reason why we have almost 40 years of wandering. The people are rebelling. I always found it uh, incredible that the Egyptians go to, in a time of setback, discouragement, rebellion, disbelief, is let's go back to Egypt. Doesn't that seem like a long time ago? That was the word that when they came to the Red Sea. Remember that? When they came to the Red Sea, God's leading them. God had them exactly where he wanted them to be. God was leading. And what were the, what was the words of the Israelites? Weren't we better back there? Weren't we better back in Egypt? You brought us out here to die. And God is faithful. And he shows them the way through the Red Sea. There's the parting of the Red Sea, and they make their way through. And now again, they're on the verge of going into the promised land, a land that God would, would, would lead them into this time of conquest, into this time of inheritance of the promise that he'd given them, and they're going again. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said, said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite gathering there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land of flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people land, because we will, they will, we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. You've got Moses and Aaron facing a rebellion. You've got two faithful spies, Caleb and Joshua, that literally have torn their clothes. There's an anguish in their soul that says, you guys don't get it. God said he's giving us the land. God is faithful. It will happen. We need to do this. Well, the rebellion sees that the, that the people uh, refuse. And in doing so, uh, the, the intensity of the mob of, of some two million people uh, grows. They want to stone uh, these leaders. They want to choose a new leader. Ultimately, who they're rejecting is their God. Moses and Aaron spoke for God. They were not speaking on their own behalf. And so we see that in, in the report that comes back, 10 people cause a whole generation to miss out on the blessing of entering into the promised lands. Two, Joshua and Caleb continued to have the voice of reason 
and the voice of faith that said, God has this. And so begins the wanderings. God would send a plague upon those leaders and they would, they would all die. But for 38 years, this mass of humanity, all those who are 20 years and older, would be going about for, for, for 38 years and 10 months, would be traveling in wandering ways throughout the wilderness. And through it all, they were going to lose the blessing that God had promised them. It would be experienced by, by their children, by the younger generation. But I think it's important here that when we see what happened, that we consider the X factor. What's the X factor? The X factor is described as a variable in a given situation that could have the most significant impact on the outcome. They call that the X factor. Who is the X factor in this story? God. God is the X factor. It's God who is, 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 is the variable that makes the Israelites different from the, from the people of this land that they have been promised. It is God who's going to have the most significant impact in the outcome. It's not Moses, it's not Aaron, it's not Joshua, it's not Caleb. It wouldn't have been the ten other spies either. The impact here of the X factor in the conquest of Canaan was the God who said, I'm promising you it, I will give it to you, I will lead you there. And that, I believe, is the lesson for each one of us today. Who's the X factor in what we're facing right now? God. We shared that this morning. Does God want us to use wisdom, precaution? Absolutely. But as I was standing in a, a superstore the other day, one lady who I have known from the, the hockey down at the Meridian Center, she sat in front with her, her daughter on a number of the games. I got to talking to her, and I said to her, I said, how are you doing? She said, my 12-year-old daughter is a mess. She had a very traumatic experience as a 5-year-old, and now with all of the news of what's going on, her daughter woke up, and she was just covered with this rash that the doctor said, this is totally being caused by anxiety. And this lady, who I believe is a Christian, she says, it's just, I'm trying to just console her and just say, God is with us. You know, that God will be your peace. You know, we, we look at this time right now, and uh, as, as many of you have prayed and even shared this morning, uh, I believe that this is a time that God is going to speak. He might choose to speak through us. And wherever he does, I pray that we would be uh, voices of reason, messengers of peace, because God is bigger than this giant that is surfacing. In 1 John 4, verse 4, John says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. He's talking about opposition. Because the one who is, is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. It's very much a spiritual battle. He's telling these believers that God is bigger than the one who opposes you. Is God bigger than what we are facing right now? Is God bigger than the giants that were in the fortified cities in Canaan? And all they had to do was trust him. Trust him, believe him, take him at his word. And I think this morning this is an encouraging word to each one of us. 
you know, it says that they saw the fruit of the land, but the report said, but. I was reading, Christians struggle believing God when they focus on but instead of focusing on the promise. The but giant will be defeated with faith. It would take them 40 years, almost 40 years, before they would experience the blessing that God had promised them. All because they had focused on the but instead of the blessing. They experienced on the but of the report instead of the faithfulness of their God. This is a book of wanderings, but it's a book where we see God continue to be faithful. There would be many who would miss out on the blessing that God had promised them. But a new generation, the younger generation would rise up. I have des- I've got to see if I can get a copy of this for the library. I've been w- working through this as I've been going through it. For those of you who don't know, it's going to call from God to you. 66 love letters. A conversation with God that invites you into his stories by Dr. Larry Crabb. 66 love letters. He goes through each book. And so this is, this is Larry uh, Crabb's, Dr. Larry Crabb's response that I would leave with you this morning. As he's read through the book of, uh, of, the book of Numbers, his prayer to God is, God, I just read, again, read Numbers again. And, have, and after hearing you tell me what you want me to hear in this fourth love letter, I have three thoughts. First, having you for their God caused Israel a lot of trouble. I think I can understand why they wanted to run back to Egypt and forget you and your wonderful plan for their lives. The world's way of thinking assumes life should be more comfortable and much easier. No wonder so many Christians like me are drawn to that thinking and try try to convince themselves that the ways of the world are okay for Christians to follow if we just Christianize them a bit. Second, I really do complain a lot. Just like Israel grumbled about their hard life, I do too. I can sit in a hot tub at a fancy resort and find something to gripe about. That scares me. Maybe you want me scared over how badly I don't measure up to your standards so I can understand what your perfect love casts out. Third, when things go wrong in my life, especially my inner life, I easily assume there must be a way to follow you that will make things better. But what I hear you saying in Numbers is that the road to life, to the life I really want, is difficult and long. I think I'm getting the idea that trusting and following you is a big deal, the biggest deal of all. That's something I need to remember. A generation of Israelites would miss the blessing. A generation of Israelites, for some time, would remember the rebellion of the generation before them. They would learn and they would experience that God was faithful and he did lead them into the promised land, just as he said. We face life and our many difficulties. And God says that's okay. Trust him, follow him, he'll always make a way.